Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. Hello, I hope you're all well. Could I ask you a favour this week? Could I ask you to pop over to wherever you download the podcast and share a little review or a rating? It goes such a long way in making sure that the podcast just gets a little bit more exposure so it goes out to a wider audience and um, the more ratings and reviews the podcast has the more women can hear your amazing birth stories. Speaking of amazing birth stories this week I share my chat with Pam. Pam is joined by her husband Phil and also little Teddy who is very distracting. He's just so cute. He was chatting away. He was smiling at me which you won't be able to hear but I had to cut my out myself laughing and giggling at him because he was just such a little flirt. He's gorgeous. So I spoke to Pam uh, month, last year, uh, episode 40, which I will link in the show notes. And she shares um, the loss of her little girl, Rosie, in that episode. And she does mention little Rosie in this episode as well. So we really talk about pregnancy after loss, how she prepared for labour and birth ahead she's Pam I think if anyone knows her which I'm sure a lot of you do she is so well informed and really is someone that I would ask a question to do to if I wanted a really well informed well-rounded answer that wasn't um in any way pushing her opinion so Pam even though she's so she knows so much about the pregnant body and knows how to look after herself she still took the time to invest in herself she was still teaching twice a week um, teaching her pregnancy pilates she was attending classes herself she was reading books she was listening to podcasts so she's just one of those people who who really doesn't kind of just sit back make sure that she does as did as much as she could um, to prepare for what was ahead so she decided to have her Teddy at home 
supported by her husband, obviously. Her other two boys were there. She had her doula, Lorraine, who Phil speaks so highly of. It's really nice to hear. And also her midwives from PMI. So a really nice story. And as always, I love hearing a partner's perspective. It's really important, I think, that we do. So enjoy this week's episode. I will share all the resources in the show notes. And thank you, Pam, once again. It was gorgeous to chat. Pam, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Um, I know Phil is going to join us too. And for the moment, we have little Teddy with us. Thanks so much for having us. I'm looking forward to hearing all the details about your home birth. But first, we can just, I suppose, dive into your pregnancy. We'll talk about pregnancy after loss, if that's okay with you. And then, yeah, we'll go straight into your amazing home birth. So if you want to just begin by giving us all another introduction to you and your family, and I will actually link your previous episode in the show notes as well for those of you who haven't heard your your other episode. Absolutely. I'm Pam Davis and I'm married to Phil and we live in Newcastle in Wicklow and we have two older boys. You're not going to chat now. Two older boys, uh, Hugo's nine, um, Riley is five and Teddy is now five months. And so talk to me about conception. So we um, lost little girl Rosie in September 2020. Is that right? Yeah, 2020. And yeah, I think probably after that loss, she she was 18 weeks. We kind of we knew that we weren't done uh, so we said we would try again and felt pregnant with Teddy in February um, of 2021. Yeah. And um, yeah, pregnancy after loss is no easy thing. I have to say really, really tough. Um, you know, just, I didn't get my hopes up. I just kept thinking, you know, it's not going to last. It's going to be, it's going to end at some stage it's very very hard to go through and kind of you know have that mindset and that worry the whole time um and I went down the private route I went to an obstetrician um Dr. Rishi in the Rotunda who I'd been with for the other two boys as well and for Rosie um and we always found him to be brilliant so I had an early scan at I think seven weeks um, and everything looked fine, but that wasn't the stage that I lost that. So, you know, it was kind of, you know, I wasn't that, it, it wasn't that when I saw the heartbeat, I was, I felt much better straight away or anything because obviously I'd seen the heartbeat on Rosie and everything was fine with her. So, um, yeah, I just kind of went on tentatively, ignored it, ignored my pregnancy for a lot of the time <laughs> to start off as probably a coping mechanism. And actually after Rosie, I started counselling and continued on that, um, which really helped, you know, dealing with the anxiety. Um, and I started hypnobirthing early with um, Elaine from Birth Fear Free and Avril did a couple of fear releases with me, Avril Flynn. Um, very lucky I've got the birth posse to help me out and back me up. And um, I did a three-step rewind actually before I fell pregnant with Teddy in November with Lorraine, my doula. Um, I found that that definitely helped. Um, I wouldn't say it was 
100% successful, but I probably did it a little bit too soon for it to be, you know, for it to, to have the full kind of benefits, shall we say. I didn't tell anybody um, I was pregnant for a long time because of the anxiety over losing Rosie. Um, so I continued on normally ignoring my pregnancy um, and going to work. Work was an absolute saviour for me because it really got my mind off the fact that I was pregnant. Um, and, you know, I love what I do. So being in theatre was really, even though it was COVID now, I have to say I wasn't nervous because I was masked up and gowned up and everything. And I, it really just provided such a distraction and my work rates are so brilliant. Um, and when I told them, I think they were all very shocked because it was, it, I'd left it so long to tell anybody. But that wasn't just a work, that was all over because I just I think I was kind of in denial that my pregnancy would continue. Um, so yeah, work was a great distraction. And you know, I just, telling people was very hard for me. Uh, saying it out loud was very hard this time around. I It was very difficult to bring myself to say it out loud and that's okay, that's a normal thing after law. So if there's anybody who's worrying about how they're going to say or tell people they're pregnant after loss, that's something that I don't be worried about. People will understand. Um, you know, do what's best for you and your anxiety and your um, inner calm, do what's best for you in those situations. Um, yeah, so went on and ignored it for a lot of the time, <laughs> but I felt well. I didn't have sickness at all. Whereas with the two boys, I had hyperemesis, so I didn't have any sickness on Rosie or on Teddy at all and I was probably in a better you know I was probably healthier was lockdown and I was at home and eating a bit better teaching classes twice a week and very fit and healthy and um, so that was good not to be and not having sickness add to your your worries and concerns yeah, yeah. definitely because I never thought about it on the boys at all like even though I'd a loss between the two of them I never thought about Riley, like I never worried that I was going to lose Riley because I was sick. So sick all the time, like before I was pregnant, I was vomiting pretty much and continued on the whole way. So I never kind of um, worried that much. But yeah, because I didn't have the sickness, it was it was really. And even when I was pregnant and Rosie, I didn't have sickness and I was worried that I was, you know, going to miscarry. So, yeah, it was hard. But um yeah, so fast forward, I, I had lots of early appointments and Dr. Ishii was great. He saw me weekly if I wanted or if I felt OK to go for two weeks without seeing him, then I'd see him every two weeks. Um, and in the meantime, I booked a home birth. So we had planned a home birth with Rosie and we had an online Zoom call with Liz um, Halliday from Private Midwives. So I was, I'm excluded from the HSE because I'm 40. I had gestational diabetes before. I had two macrosomic babies and I had shoulder dystocia. So I was <laughs> excluded from uh, HSE home birth. So we opted to go with uh, Private Midwives Ireland. And we booked. So Phil, sorry, Phil, can I ask you a question? Welcome, firstly. So how did you feel when Pam broached the home birth or were you in with, with it straight off the bat? Were you like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do the home birth. Or did you need convincing? We'd probably go back to Rosie then. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I suppose I'm a pretty practical person. So my mind didn't go to the, yeah, this is going to be amazing. It was, okay, what are the logistics of if something goes wrong, how do we get a, or the baby to the hospital? And that was kind of my that was my thought process. The, the idea of a home birth, you know, I thought it was a good idea. It was just more, I needed to get my around, I needed to get my head around the what ifs and the contingency plans and would they be practical in our situation? Um, you know, we, we live a little bit off grid, so we're not in the middle of town where we are off grid. We've had experience before where getting an ambulance to the house didn't actually go according to plan. I had to chase one down the road to come and find us. I met at a couple of Ks down the road. So I had all of those thoughts in my head. Um, the idea of having a baby at home was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I thought that, I thought that would be great. I thought considering the situation we were in with you know, obviously COVID and restrictions in and out of hospitals and just hearing about other people's experiences, you know, with partners not really being allowed to be there to support up until the time of birth. Uh, I thought, yeah, look, I mean, the more time we can spend together, the, the better the environment we can get Pam into. I thought that that would be the way to go. Did you feel the weight of responsibility more so because of because it was a home birth and I'm sure like well for me I wouldn't have gone ahead with a home birth if I didn't have the support of my husband but because I had his support he felt like he was responsible for making making it what it needed to be for us really I suppose because he enabled it to happen because he said yes let's do it if you know what I mean yeah look I mean I I mean, I was quite comfortable with the whole birth process. I mean, you know, with Hugo, you know, I was holding legs in the air in the hospital. You know, we, we, you know, with Riley, things came a little bit quicker. And, you know, I was involved and, in, you know, Pam almost had it in the, in the not in the delivery the suite, but, the, but in the annex. So, you know, I was kind of, I was comfortable with the process of being involved it was just that it, it really was just worst case situation, making sure mum and baby are going to be okay and going to be looked after. And that was my only concerns. And, you know, we had a few chats with Liz and she was pretty good in, in saying, yeah, no, look, there'll be people on standby. They'll know where you live, you know, all of those things. And that, that made the decision a lot easier to make than, well, not even the decision to make. It was more, I was a lot more comfortable with the situation than once we'd had those chats. So at my 12-week uh, booking appointment with the hospital, um, I was asked to, or I was told that I was on gestational diabetes um, here because I had gestational diabetes before, which meant that I had to check my um, blood sugars with a glucometer 
three times a day, four times a day. Um, so fasting in the morning after breakfast, lunch and dinner from 12 weeks. So I went home and myself and Phil sat down and we went through the BRAIN acronym, which is benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition and nothing. And I decided that knowing how gestational diabetes worked, that I wasn't going to do that until I got to um, 24 weeks and get the, I asked for an oral GTD test, which is a glucose tolerance test. Um, My diet was very good anyway. I wasn't eating that much carbohydrates. Like I'm not a massive carb lover anyway except for pasta maybe but you know it wasn't something that I was um you know chowing down the carbs all the time so I felt confident in what we what decision that decision that we made because um the risk for me was I was already anxious I didn't want to to be anxious and having to prick my finger four times a day. Um, so I decided not to partake in that. Um, I told my consultant that I wouldn't be um, monitoring and he was perfectly happy with that. Um, <clears throat> as my choice, my firm choice, so that's what, we, that's what I decided. Um, so fast forward to 24, I, I, sorry, I should also say I was, had read the Lily Nichols book on Rosie. She has one called um, Gestational Diabetes and Pregnancy. Um, and she has another one called Real Food for Pregnancy, which is really, both books are excellent. But if you have had gestational diabetes, highly, highly recommend her book. Um, so we... I read through that and I was kind of, you know, I knew all the things to do to keep my blood sugar stable, you know, eating fat with carbohydrates and protein, you know, kind of the, the breakdown of things. And um, so that was very helpful. So fast forward to 24 weeks and there was a big discussion as to whether I wanted to get the GTT test or not, Um, kind of at about 18 weeks, I think. I just felt, is it going to... um alter my care pathway is it going to change how I feel about what's going on in my body is it going to change how other people um deal with my pregnancy you know with gestational diabetes uh it's common to be offered an induction and I didn't want to be induced I'd been induced on Hugo and you know even though it was positive experience I know an awful lot more now than I did then and induction is something that I wouldn't choose unless obviously medically necessary. And they don't recommend induction, you know, NICE and the World Health Organization. It's not something that they, and, or COG, they don't recommend an induction for gestational diabetes if it's controlled. And mine was controlled very much with exercise. I was walking daily and, as I said earlier, doing so much um, Pilates twice a week, yoga twice a week, and I did strength training the other day. Um, so it was very well controlled um, with diet and exercise. So come 24 weeks, I went in and you have to go in fasting. 
had a cup of tea at 10 o'clock the night before because I kind of forgot. Um, I don't know if that made any difference. I didn't have anything to eat. I had, um, I think 5.1 on my fasting, which is, you know, just the, the cutoff. And then on my one hour, it was 11. No, sorry. My one hour, it was 10 instead of 8.5. Or something like that. Anyway, it was just outside the normal ranges. So I was considered to have gestational diabetes. But when we were talking about whether I'd get it or not, you know, Liz sat down with me and went through, okay, so if we know that you have gestational diabetes, we won't, as private midwives, we won't be doing anything different except for asking you to check your blood sugars so that we know that you're you know, on track, you're monitoring and managing them normally. Um, so that's what I did. I checked um, seven times a day. So I was given a Excel spreadsheet and I checked with my glucometer seven times a day. So first thing when I woke up in the morning, I did a fasting blood sugar, then pre-breakfast, post-breakfast after an hour, pre-lunch, post-lunch after an hour, pre-dinner, post-dinner after an hour, and actually before bed as well. So that was eight times a day. So that was a bit more um, of a commitment, but I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to make sure that um, I was happy with my bloods, Liz was happy with my bloods, and if there's anything that I needed to change how I ate during the day in order to keep them in optimal ranges, then I did that. Um, and again, uh, they, you know, really stick to very similar guidelines um, to Lily Nichols. So it was very easy for me. I didn't have to change really the way I was eating anything, uh, which was great. I just had to, you know, um, maintain what I was doing basically and that was quite easy I had a couple of kind of cheat meals I remember I had a McDonald's when Riley finished school I think it was and I I couldn't get over the spike in my blood sugar after it like I'd had loads of smash burgers you know on my when I was checking my blood sugar and they didn't spike at all at home but the McDonald's was like I think went up as far as 10 or something and it's supposed to be Below 7.5. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting to see. Sorry, you can probably hear the puppy in the background. Um, baby and puppy. Um, so, at my 24-week appointment, when I tested positive, I said immediately that I didn't want any talk of induction. Um, I knew what the research said. I didn't want to, I wouldn't be considering induction unless absolutely necessary. I also made it very clear that I didn't want to hear talk of a big baby. Both my boys were big. Hugo was 10, 12 and Riley was 9, 10 and three weeks early. Um, so I didn't want to hear about a big baby. Um, now my consultant was very good. He always says, God, baby's growing well, or, you know, is a good size, whatever. He never said he's looking to be pretty big. Um, yeah, and, you know, because of the gestational diabetes with the HSE, I would have been off. It wouldn't be, if I was diagnosed at 24 weeks with gestational diabetes, having planned a home birth, I would have been omitted from the home birth scheme um, and from domino care, I think, as well. And I know other moments have had this happen and it's quite, um, well, for me, it would have been quite disruptive because I kind of been planning. 
Um, you know, if you're planning a home birth and all of a sudden you're told, okay, everything that you wanted and have started to prepare for is now taken off the table, it can be quite disruptive. Um, but luckily, with PMI, it's not an issue. Um, so, yeah, I continued on my care. Um, and even though I had gestational diabetes, I was still able to go for my home birth. So another thing that we discussed, you know, because I had gestational diabetes was harvesting colostrum so that if baby needed that in the first days after birth, then I had a stash of it in the freezer. Um, and this is a big challenge for me because I, after Rosie, I took medication to stop my milk coming in. And I was kind of convinced that my boobs didn't work, to be honest, which is difficult considering I breastfed the two boys. So I got some, I did my antenatal um, breastfeeding class with Nicola over and she's fantastic. It was a really great class. Um, and even though I've breastfed twice before, I really found it beneficial to do that before Teddy, just as like a little refresher course almost. But I did learn some new things as well. Um, so I ordered a kit of her and or a couple of kits of her and started to express colostrum. And I'll never forget the first drop that came out. I was like, it was like I'd run a marathon. I was so excited that my boobs were working. And that's so sad, isn't it? But um, so delighted that my boobs were working. So I continued to harvest colostrum daily after that, twice a day, actually, once I got past uh, 37 weeks. And I had quite a little stash built up in the freezer. Um, yeah, sometimes it really increased those Braxton Hicks and I had to slow down and kind of stop doing it. And that's a normal kind of side effect for it. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my gestational diabetes. It didn't, it didn't affect how I birthed um, in the end because I was with PMI. But being in the hospital system, I know that if I hadn't made it very clear that I didn't want to have an induction, I would have felt pressure because I had gestational diabetes because baby was big or um, don't ask me why if it's, if it's not you know the research says it shouldn't be done or if you know the guidelines say it shouldn't be done I don't understand why it's still being offered to women um, in Ireland but it is so often so so often um, yeah, so that was kind of my gestational diabetes part of it. But I'd highly recommend Lily Nichols' book. Um, and harvesting colostrum can be something really beneficial for gestational diabetes, or if you're going to have a, if you are, if you're opting to have a cesarean section, um, or a cesarean birth, that can be a really, and you want to breastfeed, the colostrum can be a really great tool because sometimes you know the support that you get may not be up to scratch um, on the postnatal ward for feeding a uh, baby. So let's chat about preparation, I suppose, for for the home birth and, and how you prepared the house and how you prepared, yeah, everything. Yeah, so throughout pregnancy, I kept very fit and healthy. I did um, a good few classes. Well, I taught twice a week on a Wednesday and Saturday and I um, did yoga on a Monday night with Lydia Sassel and I did yoga on a Thursday with uh, Melissa Tommy love Melissa who they're both so fantastic and I'm so delighted because I'd never got to do Melissa's class in real like in real life because she lives over the other side of Dublin um, and she's just wonderful and um, 
we did hypnobirthing with um, Elaine from Birth Fear Free, which was great. And that was kind of, I think that was all the prep that I could, now obviously loads of reading and, you know, all the other things. Like I'd given birth twice before, but it's still important for me to, it was five years since, since Riley, like, you know, it's a long time. You kind of forget. Yeah, I, I mean, to follow up on that point, there was, I mean, Pam's obviously maybe got a little bit more experience in in helping others as well. So I think just from, I think there was more a level of osmosis where you would overhear her speaking to others about breathing techniques or, you know, all of these exercises that she's helping other ladies do. So some of that was was kind of just okay. And he was roped into demo a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I've been, yeah, I've been the crash test dummy a couple of times. <laughs> but I, but I, I will have to say that the the hypnobirthing session that we did with Elaine was, um, it was great because it wasn't Pam telling me how to do something. It was no, it was it, it, it it's. You know, Pam's a great, got great knowledge, but but it was almost some of the ideas that Pam had were reinforced, and then it 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 allowed us instead of Pam just saying, "Here, come and practice this technique." It allowed us then for someone else to say, "Hey, you guys should try this," or "Have you thought about it doing it that way?" And you know, it's you know, look like any husband will say, you always get used to getting told what to do. But if, if you know, if you can do it together and someone else is instructing you, I thought that was quite beneficial for us, even just to get that connection going and just get that thought process going of, right, these are some of the things we can do together to get it go, get this baby out if needed. So how did you prepare the boys for home birth? Obviously, they know the world you're involved in. So how did you prepare them and get them excited for what was ahead? They knew on Rosie we were going to have a home birth. They were really excited that we were going to have Rosie at home. Um, But then obviously that didn't work out. And so we weren't going to tell them until later on because it's quite difficult for them to deal with it after Rosie. And, you know, they both struggled, Riley not so much, but Hugo definitely struggled with it. And I think for the whole pregnancy on Teddy, he kept on saying, is it safe now? Is he safe now? And, you know, I could say, I couldn't ever say, yes, it's safe. I always said, look, he's doing great. And, you know, the doctor, we saw him on the ultrasound and he looks like he's doing great and there's no problems, but, you know, so for the moment he's safe, you know, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be safe all the way through. So that was really tough. But at nine, was it my nine weeks? I think I went for a scan at nine weeks and I came home and I had chocolate almonds in my bag the day before and I'd given them chocolate almonds. And Riley is like a little scavenger. So he went into the my bag and pulled out the scan. I was like, oh, a baby. Like, what? there's a baby and Hugo was sitting at the table and was like is is that a new baby I was like "Uh, no no that's Rosie and he goes they're not Rosie scans nope that's a new baby isn't it and I was like "Mm, go and ask your father I don't know what to say I told him they tried like cooking the pizza or something and he was like dad is this woman a new baby in her belly and he feels like oh I don't know ask your mother (laughs) so he came back in and was like uh is it a new baby? I was like, yeah, it's a new baby. So they were so delighted and scared, but so delighted. And then they, uh, from then they asked, were we going to have him at home? And I said, yeah, if, if at all possible, we're going to have him at home. 
And I didn't, you know, when we planned a home birth, planned a home birth, but we also planned for a hospital birth and anything else that could happen. Because, you know, when I said this to my consultant, if I wake up in the day and feel I'm going to birth at home, I'm going to birth at home. If I wake up in the day and feel I can't birth at home, you know, that I don't feel like I can do it at home then I'm going to hospital. So I, we kept our options really open for whatever way I felt because of, you know, the fear around losing Rosie. I felt it was a bit more intense um, thinking about what was best for me and baby, you know, all of us. But um, yeah, so that's kind of, we told them like from the start that we were going to have a home birth and they were very excited. Hugo, halfway through at about 20 weeks he said I don't know if I want to be there and we're like that's okay Nana will come and collect you my mum was going to come and collect him if needed but um then at the end he said he did want to be here and we had my mum actually well we had my mum in standby but she went off to a wedding the night that Teddy came with the rest of my family so my sister-in-law who was pregnant was our backup for if we needed uh, someone to take the kids so what you said there about um, kind of going with the flow when it comes to birth so if you feel like birthing at home that's what you do and on the day if you feel like birthing in hospital that's what you will do also did it feel good to have Lorraine around to have those conversations with yeah I was very open with Phil I think from the get-go about how I felt like every time I went into the rotunda I felt like you know I don't feel safe here at my um I got the non-invasive prenatal testing the harmony or the panorama actually was the one that I got and I went in to get that and I'll never forget that day it was in the um the early assessment unit I think it is upstairs in the rotunda and I decided to be healthy and take the stairs and I walked up the first flight of stairs and I found myself outside the door where I birthed Rosie and I couldn't stop crying couldn't talk to the people in the um, you know, who were going to take my blood test and who did the ultrasound. I just couldn't get myself together at all. So I was like, if I can't even get a scan here, how on earth am I going to give birth here? You know, like I, I could have taken the lift and I probably wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened, but I didn't take the lift and that happened. And it just kind of got me thinking, God, you know, I just don't know how I'll do it. And every time I went in, I'd feel the same way. I'd kind of go, God, I don't know how I'm going to give birth here. And I did, I did kind of contemplate switching hospitals. So I wouldn't have that kind of association. But I, if I was going to be under an obstetrician, I wanted to be under Dr. Ishi. So I decided not to, and we just see how we went. Um, yeah. So that was kind of, they were all great as well. Like, you know, they all understood that I had a loss Um and they were all very sensitive and really lovely to that and nothing was an issue anytime I rang up and said I didn't feel okay or I felt uncomfortable or you know like I was worried about something they'd see me straight away but it was good to have Lorraine sorry um I uh, you know I was very honest with Phil and I told Phil how I felt at every stage because I needed somebody with me you know like to discuss and it was really hard going in by myself a lot of those times because even after loss, you know, he was allowed in for one scan, I think, was it? Or two scans, uh, the 12-week and the 20-week yeah. or something. Was, yeah, one of the early ones and then the 20-week, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that was really hard going in alone. And, you know, I'd consider myself quite a strong 
person, but I can only imagine what it's like for, you know, for first time mums going in or, you know, someone pregnant after loss who hasn't done it before. It's really hard, like really, really tough going in alone. Um, But yeah, so I was really open and honest with Phil and I, you know, kept in contact with Lorraine and Liz all the way through, which was really brilliant and um, really, really great to be able to talk about the fears with Liz, especially, you know, she was really just she was unbelievable. You know, every time she came, I got care from 34 weeks and every time she came, she was just, you know, it's like you go into the obstetrician's office you sit down you have a chat for like five minutes he puts the ultrasound on your tummy says everything's okay see you now on to the next person she was like three hours with me you know going through everything going through um our my notes first of all like that was quite an eye-opener getting my notes from the hospital um there's lots of things that we were all quite shocked by that were in the notes that I was told differently or, you know, that were in the notes that happened differently, um, which was really interesting for me to find out. And then, but, you know, like just her level of care and talking about what we were afraid of, both of us, you know, it was really great to have those appointments, kind of the, especially that first appointment together. Would you agree? Yeah. And that was the, I mean, this kind of comes back to, you know, the first thing I said around the what ifs, she really put my mind at ease and said, look, this is going to happen. These guys are going to be on standby. The ambulance is going to know that you guys are having a home birth. Um, you know, they're going to be aware. And it was those questions that she was able to answer very easily that put my mind at ease. But then just even having conversations with her and then just hearing how she was speaking with Pam as well around, you know, her previous experiences and and all of those things kind of, yeah, absolutely. It it certainly made me feel that we're in obviously very safe hands, but um, I thought, you know, Liz especially and Lorraine, the two of them were um, made such a difference to those early stages. And then from there it was just kind of natural, you know. But the, like that, that initial, you know, I don't know if you have it with the HSE as well, but that initial like, chat that you have you know where you go through the risks and benefits that for me I was like oh she's you know I've never uh, being in the hospital system I've never been through a full like informed consent you don't go through the risks and benefits in the same way as they did well, as Liz, Liz did you know I was like oh god it's pretty risky <laughs> you know it, knowing that it's not pretty risky but she still because she has to go through everything with us and especially because I had previous shoulder dystocia and um you know the two boys were big and stuff like she made sure that we understood absolutely everything that could go wrong you know and that was really an eye-opener because it usually it's that that's kind of glossed over and the benefits are you know, the light is shone on the benefits, but the risks aren't really talked about. And that was really something that opened my eyes. I was really like that, you know, that was really. I, I think, I think, yeah, it was, these are the risks, but it wasn't, these are the risks and you shouldn't do it. It yeah, was, yeah. these are the risks and we just need to understand what we're going to do in these situations. Yeah. Um, And that, yeah, it wasn't, we're not going to do this. It was, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. If I feel that 
you or the baby are under stress, we're doing this, hey, we go into hospital straight away, no ifs, buts, maybes, I don't care. There's There were certain scenarios that she ran through that were very much, there will be a point where we will make a decision and we will either go to the hospital or we will ring this person or we will do something. And once they were mapped out and those things, then there was no there was no fear of the unknown then. It was very much we knew the contingencies, we knew the matrix, and once everything fell into place properly, we were going to have a great baby birth at home. If something happened, this is what was going to happen. And, yeah, that that made life a lot easier to deal with initially. And then from there, you didn't really think about it, really, mm, did you? Yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah. okay, that's all covered off. Great. How do we make this experience the best we possibly can for Pam and for the baby and for anyone else who was involved, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is very black and white, and that's what I liked about it, that there was no in-between, there was no grey matter, that you knew exactly what was yeah. going to happen in each scenario. So let's chat about your final trimester. How um, did you feel? Yeah, very anxious, uh, if I'm honest, very anxious, because, you know, I'd gotten, well, I think I think a big, like, a big kind of milestone for me was the 24 weeks, and I knew that baby was viable. And, you know, even though Rosie had a cord compression um th- that was still in the back of my head obviously always because that's what happened and baby was breech he was breech until I think he was he was head down and then he went breech again just before 34 weeks <laughs> I was like what no this can't happen but uh we sorted it out fairly quickly I was going to acupuncture anyway I was going to Roz Drake for chiropractic care and I was doing my kind of daily essentials that I felt helped definitely to loosen out um you know the spinning baby's forward leaning inversion phil actually i know this sounds really like a weirdo but phil did the optimal position course of the, the recorded one that i have that i teach like so he did that with and uh, like i'm sure he was rolling his eyes to heaven but it was definitely helpful for some things to know going into for him um yeah so it's very yeah, anxious she charged me as well for it <laughs> annoying on that (laughs) so um yeah it was it was okay and kind of got to 36 weeks and I was like okay now I can start doing stuff which was kind of good for me I think you know I didn't before that I was just trying to keep the baby in my belly yeah and actually I had Braxton Hicks from 28 weeks like kind of quite you know, severe ones, I'd go walking and I'd be like, oh God, this is really, and I can't remember, I had them on Riley, but not as severe, definitely not as severe. And it got to 20, or sorry, 36 plus five. And I lost some of my mucus plug and I had Braxton Hicks pretty severely. And I was like, I rang Liz and I said, I think I might be going into labor. She was like, okay. I was like, what's the deal if I go into labor? She was like, well, you can't have a home birth. If it was tomorrow night at 12 o'clock, you could be at home. But if it's tonight at 12 o'clock, you can't be at home. I was like, oh, God. So, you know, we kind of thought about some things that we could do to try and slow it down. Um, So we did those things and slowed it down and it didn't continue on I went to bed and rested and it didn't continue I drank lots of water you know the things that you kind of do to try and relieve the Braxton Hicks um 
Um, so that was fine. Thankfully, I was never so relieved. I was thinking, you know, I'm so prepared now for my home birth. I'd packed a hospital bag, but I was so, you know, I had my affirmations up everywhere. I had pictures of his scans. I like did the my little kind of routine at nighttime where I'd use my epino for perineal prep or do perineal massage. I'd harvest colostrum. Uh, you know, I kind of had, I was in the swing of things and I felt this is great. I feel ready for home birth now. And then that happened and I was like, what? No, I can't have to go to the hospital to have the baby. No way. Whereas before I kind of thought, God, you know, maybe I might birth in the hospital. I don't know how I'll feel yet. Um, so yeah, anyway, so they kind of staked them off for a week or so. And then the following weekend was my cousin's wedding. And from the Wednesday night, so I was 37 just 37 weeks and on the Wednesday night I taught class and I had a few really really tough Braxton Hicks like I was breathing through them during class I was like and, you know there's a few people who noticed who were like are you okay you're in labor I was like no no fine fine really you know struggling a little bit and then went to bed and it was fine I felt fine lost more of my mucus plug because like it seemed like I was losing my mucus plug for weeks um so then my mum and dad and all my family were away at my cousin's wedding. Oh, God bless you. And um, it was a Saturday night, wasn't it? So yes, they went on the Saturday. Sorry. Bless you. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> He's like up late, cheeky little monkey. Um, and... Yeah, they all went off to my cousin's wedding, which was down in Mead somewhere or something, you know, an hour and 20 minutes away. And we kind of considered going, but I was like, you know, it's just not worth it. If something happened, thank Christ we didn't go is all I'll say. So kind of, you know, again, I taught class on Saturday morning. I breathed through a few of those Braxton Hicks that I thought were like, you know, real Braxton Hicks, just having a good few deep breaths. I went for a walk. We all went for a walk as a family after that. And then I went off and got my toenails done and I came home and I said, that's grand. I'm ready. You know, I was joking when I said it, I really was joking when I said it. And I had a couple of more kind of Braxton Hicks kind of things. And my mum rang and she said, how's things? And I was like, yeah, nothing's happening. You know, don't be worried. Like enjoy your night. I'll let you know in the morning how I am. Don't be worried. Like, cause I was 37 plus six, I think then or 37 plus five. And then, so I went to bed, I kind of, you know, noticed that there was a little bit of a pattern, but not really. I said, well, you know, I don't know, but they're just really strong. I'm going to go to bed. I'm tired. So I put on my hypnobirthing, got into bed, went to sleep, woke up at about 12. And I was like, I don't know, like they feel a little bit different. They didn't feel much different, but they felt a little bit different. It was more kind of down in my bum a little bit and my tailbone down around the front. Whereas earlier on, it had been higher up, you know, kind of in the middle of my back and a little bit higher on my bump. And so I got up, went to the toilet, uh, got back into bed, turned on my hypnobirthing, went back to sleep. And I woke up at about three and I was like, yeah, these are different. And I think they're coming, you know, in like waves, you know, they're coming and going and coming and going. So I was like, okay, Grant, well, what will we do? And I was like, I know maybe we should set up the pool. And like, even though I'd had loads of Braxton Hicks before, that was the first time that I went, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe we should set up the pool. Um, so we got up and started to set up the pool, rang Liz and I was like, look, it's probably nothing, you know, 
it's probably nothing. Don't be rushing yourself here. And it's probably nothing. It's just kind of, you know, they're mild. So it's fine around your rain. And I said, look, you know, again, wait 20 minutes and I'll let you know how I'm doing. She was like, okay, Grant. So we set up the pool. So it's like a little pro at that, you know, blowing it up super quick and getting the. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about my, my tri- last trimester in a minute, in my preparation. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> so we got the pool set up and um, I, we set up the room. Like we had all the candles kind of set up on the picture frames. So all on those pictures on the wall, there's like all of my family, like there's nobody missing out of my family there. And like my little um, quaint art uh, of Rosie up on the wall and you know like the it was the space was beautifully set up like I'd kind of finished it actually Phil's desk was there until like three days before that and I was like we need to get the desk out of here this is like totally wrecking my buzz if I go into labor now this is not happening yeah that's going to annoy you to get the desk out so Phil grudgingly like moved the desk was like you're such a pain in the arse I'm sure but uh moved the desk anyway (laughs) thankfully and I got to set it up kind of the way that I wanted and had space for the pool and stuff like that so we went and yeah that so then back to that night we got the (laughs) we started getting the pool set up (laughs) do you want to go on (laughs) just Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For any lad that's listening to this, just a word of advice. <laughs> Make sure you got some gaffer tape. <laughs> or, uh, or. 
or make sure that the liner for the pool actually fits the pool that you've got (laughs) because the pool liner was probably two sizes too small for the pool that it came with and was falling all over the place. So I had to gaffer tape the liner on to keep the water in. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, look, it wouldn't have been hygienic. So there's a back order on all the yeah. Labassine, the Maxi Labassine um, pool uh, liners. And I rang Liz and she was like, oh, I'll see if I can source one from the guys in the UK. So th- we bought one through Private Midwives Ireland and it said Maxi on the thing and everything. So when we set that up, though, didn't I rang Liz and I was like, are you sure this is the right size? And she said, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it said it on the thing that it was maxi. And I said, yeah, OK. And she was like, if you can't get it to stay on, use gaffer tape. Maybe you can cut it a little bit. And I had a contraction on the phone and she was like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. So so just to be clear, I had set up the pool previously, but when we did the dry run with filling it and taking the time and seeing how long it was going to do, we didn't put the liner in because you, oh, yeah. you obviously wanted to keep it clean. Keep it clean. So, you know, we, we'd done a dry run. We'd filled the pool. I kind of knew it was going to take, a, you know, a good while to get the pool filled. Uh, but, yeah, the liner, that was the kicker. Yeah, so the dry run with the pool had the pumps. Um, temperature was the other key for me for the water. Um and the the other thing, actually, so even just going back, I'm kind of all over the place here, but one thing, and this kind of comes back to my ambulance experience, uh, a couple of days before I set up some mini signposts down the road so anyone or an ambulance could follow, basically they could follow the stakes to our driveway and get up the drive um, if they needed to. So... In the end, it didn't come in handy for the ambulance, which is great. But at the same time, the it's, second midwife oh yeah, who came at five or six in the morning didn't know where she was going and she was able to follow them up to the, the house. So that, that was one thing. So if you can put an indicator out that you're having a baby or something that's going to be defined for someone else, it could make a difference if someone needs to find your house. Yeah, I finished up I yeah. finished up work on the Friday that I was ter- 37 plus four or something. And I was driving home and I was like, I drove up the driveway and I was like, it's weird that somebody's pushed white posts outside our drive. <laughs> I got home and I was like, I did that for the ambulance. I was like, oh, that's genius. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what else was I saying? Oh, yeah. So filling up the pool was my one job on the day. That wasn't your one job. Well, that was the one key job, get the temperature right. And um, anyways, so filling up the floor, I think, what is it, 37 point, 36.2 or something? It's the minimum. Anyways, look, so I filled it up, you know, this is hundreds of litres of water and it was too hot. So I then had to bucket water out of the pool and put cold water into the pool. Uh, all the time stressed that Pam wouldn't be able to get into the pool because the temperature wasn't right. She wasn't going to be able to have her baby the way she wanted. And I was just going to be the worst husband in the world, basically. basically. And like I was totally oblivious to the whole pool thing going on. It wasn't until I looked back on the 
our video that I could see Sean and Anya really working on that pool, yeah. making sure it was the right temperature. And I, I was just completely oblivious to it. It was great. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. I kind of knew. I kind of knew he. Yeah, I kind of knew he was stressed. And in between that, he went over doing double hip squeezes. Like yeah, I was two buckets <laughs> hip like, squeeze, Phil. two buckets hip squeeze. <laughs> And so then I had a combination of cold water going with boiling water on the on the stovetop, <laughs> trying to get the pool temperatures right. By this time, Pam was in the pool. <laughs> and at one point, we had this floating thermometer thing, and it was sitting at a, what I thought was perfect temperature. And I said to Liz, and I'm sure Pam will get into the whole process of how the birth went, but I said to Liz, Yes, I've got it right. And she put her hand in and went, No, no, that's too cold. <laughs> you can't have a baby. Yeah, you can't have a baby. In and I was like, What are you talking about? And she goes, Do you know how many pools I've put my hands into, Phil? And I said, Look, I've got no idea. She goes, That's way too cold. I, I just, I know it. It's too cold. And then she got her thermometer out. <laughs> and our thermometer and was wrong. Our thermometer was wrong. So the, the thermometer the pool was. Um, Anyways, yeah. I was out by a couple of degrees. So after I got it up to temperature, got it down to temperature, and then it was just <laughs> we had this puddle of water in the sitting room that was. I used it. I know stuff. it wasn't a puddle on, of Jesus water. <laughs> I I I was more stressed about the pool temperature being right than how Pam was going. Let's be brutally honest here now. Well, you'd my never have job. known it. You'd never have known it. Anyway, so that was my trimester. That was my final trimester. That was, <laughs> And Pam, did you enjoy the feeling of being in the water um, when it was yeah, warm? I did. Not, not as much as I thought I would, though. So when, you know, we'd talked so much about preparing the room and getting the room nice and cozy and dark and stuff so that I could let go and t- let nature take its course. And this is kind of stick with sticks with me. And when I look back in the video, I think of it as well. It feels like we can turn off the lights. Because I had the light in the sitting room on. And I said, no, we can't turn off the lights until Liz gets here. And he was like, what? So I just felt I couldn't let go and, you know, get, move on, basically. Until Liz and Lorraine were there. So I was leaving the lights on. That was like my, it was so weird. Like, I don't know why, but it was like, when I turn those lights off, things are going to happen quickly. I thought to myself, I was like, you know, I'm not going to turn the lights off. So Liz arrived anyway, and she helped fill a little bit with the pool or and then she took my I kind of just got onto the wall and she took my um blood pressure and temperature and listened into baby and everything was fine and then I wanted a vaginal exam to see how I know I I know that dilation from a cervical exam means nothing about how the rest of your labor is going to go I know that but I still for me I wanted to know roughly where I was to know how I was going to cope kind of in my head I had an idea of how my coping strategies would be like how much longer I'd have to go and so on so before that time I'd put on the tens when I woke up and I had the um pains I put on the tens and that definitely helped and then kind of after a little while I needed hip squeezes I knew that it was getting more intense and I needed the hip squeezes so Phil was in between running in and out of the pool hip squeezing like the Jesus (laughs) did you get relief from those oh like I don't know how I would have got through without them and I never you know and Riley I didn't ever 
I didn't want Phil to be near me pretty much and yeah. really like, you know, and same on Hugo. I was not too interested in them, but I like uh, it was, lived it was, for them. It was different circumstances. Yeah, I was. Though, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. I lived for them. I was like, somebody hip squeeze me. Doesn't yeah. matter who it is, just somebody do it. Mm. But um, yeah, that was great. I found that really helpful. And um, so Liz checked me and I was five centimeters. And I was that. So I was like, okay, right. I can use the pool. I know that I have the pool left. I know that I have the gas and air. The tens is still going good. If I needed to hop in the share, I could, you know, in my head, it's kind of, those were all the things that I had, we had planned we could use for pain relief. Um, so she checked me then and she said, yeah, baby's, baby's uh, like directly OA. So he was I know this is for some people, they'll go, they're going to raise their eyes to heaven and they don't really love optimal positions. But for me, I, I know what it feels like to birth an OP baby. And it's not particularly wonderful in my experience. It was very tough. And Riley was LOA and shot out, not a bother. So, you know, for me that in my head, that made a difference. And of course, babies can be born from any position in the pelvis. But for me, that's kind of what I wanted so he was or away a couple of days before and I was like what are you doing baby I have done everything in my power to get you into the position that I want you and so I went for acupuncture that day the Saturday and the acupuncture she's wonderful she said what do you want I was like I want you to mock me on all fours she was like <laughs> okay it's fairly specific I said I don't know why but I want to be on all fours I didn't feel comfortable lying on my side I didn't feel so she was like and are we looking to get things started and I was like yeah bang them into my hand there give us a good old you know like let's go we're 37 weeks this is great so I got up on all fours and she uh put the mocks on my toes and you know used the acupuncture points for I'd say natural induction, but it's induction regardless of what way you look at it. So she did that and I he definitely moved. He started to move over. I could feel him. He was like directly away. My bump was much bigger to the front as opposed to left or right when I lay down. And when Liz checked me, she said, he feels like he's away. And I was every time I had a contraction, I was lifting up one of my heels off the ground. And I kind of didn't notice it. And when Liz said he's directly away, I was like, okay, I'll do some lunges now to try and get him to come around or to turn his head or, to, you know, for him to kind of slot down, move down a little bit more. So I put my foot up on the, the um, coffee table and I did, a, I'd say about six lunges and I could feel it was like a clunk of him moving down. And then things ramped up like I was like, I need the gas and air right now. Like, you know, so, so intense. So I got into the pool. It was like, yeah, do you want to try and get into the pool? I, used, I had a couple of contractions of the gas and air. And then they said, you want to get into the pool? You're not going to be able to birth baby in the pool because it's a bit cool. Now, I'd never, you know, when we spoke about it before, because I had the shoulder dystocia previously, she was like, you know, do you, are you particularly attached to having the baby in the pool? Do you want a water birth or are you happy with the land birth? And I said, I'm not really fussed. You know, I never kind of had, it wasn't something that I'd seen for my birth necessarily being in the pool. I knew I was going to be at home. That's what I'd kind of envisaged, but I never thought I'm going to be in the pool for my birth, which is funny because at the end, it wasn't us who decided it. It was the temperature. <laughs> And just to be clear, with HSE home birth, you can't birth your baby in the pool, but with PMI, you can. There's no restrictions there, oh, yeah. isn't that right? Yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. They have no 
you know, nothing like that. And, you know, because of the shoulder distortion, we discussed like things that we may need to do if she saw a sign of baby getting blocked in the pelvis, basically, or stuck in the pelvis. So, you know, we'd talk through all of those things and different positions that would be used. And then eventually, if positions didn't work, other things that Liz could do to help resolve the dystocia. So that was fine. And, you know, birthing in water, it's a little bit more difficult sometimes to see. Now, it doesn't happen as commonly in water, apparently, but it's a little bit more difficult to see. So I never had a particular attachment to birthing in the water, just to say that and before Phil, you know, goes and <laughs> leaves the conversation because the pool wasn't the right temperature. <laughs> so I got into the pool and I have to say, I thought that I would have gone Oh, yeah, this is like my favorite thing. The bath is my favorite thing. Anytime I am looking for relief for something, the bath is where I find it. And I have a bath nearly daily. But when I got into the pool, I wasn't like, oh, you know, like everyone explains or everyone expresses how they feel when they get into the pool. I was just like, this is so intense. You know, maybe I got in a little bit late. Sure, I don't know what I was like. This is so intense, and I kept on thinking, I can't. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, what happens if something happens? And you know, in my head, I was obviously gone through transition, and I was like, I don't think I can do this. This is awful. This is so hard. And you know, and at every stage, I had someone like holding my hands, saying to me, "You're doing this. You don't have to do that contraction again. That one's over." So whether it was Lorraine or Phil or Liz, the three of them, like they were so interchangeable for everything for my hip squeezes for my support like they were just you know I can't they're so amazing so so amazing and like so many times I felt I just I can't do this I'm not gonna be able to do it I'm like what am I I'm fooling myself do you know I'm gonna have to go to the hospital <laughs> in transition <laughs> but I really I had so much internal doubt going on and they every single time I didn't have to say it out loud. I think a couple of times I said, I don't think I can do this. But every time I thought it, somebody had said, you're doing amazing. You're doing this. You know, you're doing so well. And there was one stage I was I was I was out of the pool was before I got into the pool. Actually, I was leaning over the um, peanut bowl with the gas and air. And I just said, Liz is there. And I said, oh, I can't do this. And she said, you can do it. It's time to let go now. The boys are asleep next door and they're safe. Rosie's looking down on you. It's time to meet your baby. I was like, oh, God, you know, that was so, and it stuck with me so much, so emotional. Like, I was so, such, it was the perfect thing that I needed to hear at the perfect time. She's got a knack for that, though, I'll tell you. That Liz one, she's got a knack for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was in the pool and I thought, I feel like I need to push. And she was like, you just do whatever you want to do. Whatever your body tells you to do, you do. I was like, okay, I'm scared. She was like, that's okay. And she goes, reach your hand in and see if you can feel your baby if you want to. So I put my hand. <laughs> I was like, his head is really squishy. She said, that's your water. I was like, yeah. I feel my fluids. Like, you know, my, my membranes were still. I was like, yeah. oh my God, it's, so, it's really squishy. Is it supposed to feel like that? she was like that's your water so I was like oh yeah and it made as soon as she said it, I was like of course it is I'm an idiot <laughs> so uh, then after a little while hello then after a little while I mean I said I need to push I think she could start to see 
some progression. Like she could see baby she had her mirror in with her headlight and she could see um, the waters bulging coming out. And she was like, okay, how do you feel about getting out? And I said, yeah, I feel fine about getting out. So I got out and they had a little kind of area set up with the peanut ball and lots of eco sheets and stuff. And I got down on all fours and using like eating the gas and air, absolutely eating. It's my favorite thing. I hated it on Hugo. I didn't use it on Riley. I tried on Riley and it was too late. They didn't have it plugged in or something. Um, but then I like, I just absolutely loved it. And it was lovely. Like with loads of Hugo was coming in and out. He woke up actually just as Liz arrived and he kind of was coming in and out and checking and making sure I was okay and looking in the pool and saying, how did you get the fairy lights in the pool? Like, how are they underneath? I was like, there's, there's a liner. Um, but it was really lovely. And he was, you know, hugging me and checking in on me the whole time. You know, he did. He was nervous, I'm sure, obviously, but not Liz. Liz was great with him. And Lorraine was just so fantastic with him. She kept on checking. I never worried about him because this was at like that, five in the morning. Yeah. I knew that like Lorraine or Phil or somebody would look after him. I never once my mind never once went to him thinking I can't do this because he's around or whatever. I know lots of people say that, that they find, find it hard when the kids were still there to kind of let go. I never felt that actually. Um, so I got onto all fours and was leaning over the peanut ball and I was still having hip squeezes for a little few minutes after that. And then I was pushing and just, you know, the pressure is just so... I remember from Riley, but I never, it didn't last very long with Riley, whereas I think I maybe held on a little bit longer this time, or I don't know why it was, but it seemed to last a little bit longer this time. I was just, you know, going with my body, kind of breathing through it really nice and as calmly as I possibly could using the gas and air. And um, yeah, he came down. My waters broke. They thought Liz thought he was going to be born on call, she said, because, you know, he came down so well with my fluids. Um, and then they were like just a couple of minutes before I had him, or not even a couple of minutes, like maybe two minutes before I had him. And as he was coming out, I was like, God, you know, I still I still couldn't believe that it was happening. I still the whole time was like, this isn't real. Like, it's not, you know, it's not happening. I'm not this far in kind of thing. And uh, then his head came out and he didn't clear his chin, which is can be a sign of shoulder dystocia. And Liz just said, OK, and we discussed it. She said, will you put your leg up into running start? Which is just, you know, lifting one leg forward so that it opens the pelvis a bit. And I feel was at my head and telling me so how, like how he loved me and he, uh, how amazing I was. And I was, you know, like shaking my head the whole time going, I love you too, but like, God, this is it's just so, so intense. And Liz was behind me saying, I know this is so intense, but it's so beautiful and you're doing so wonderfully. Like she was just, you know, everything that you want to hear at that time, she she's like, she's just amazing. So his head is born. I put my leg up and, he came out like a little dream. He was born with his hand up beside his cheek, uh, the way that we saw him in all the scans. And his cord was wrapped around his hand and his cheek, which she, you know, she told me because she knew that I'd see the video. And she like, I didn't want you to freak out because uh, Rosie had the cord, you know, had the cord compression. So she, now you need to be quiet. Um, she, yeah, so she told me that when he was born that oh his cord is wrapped around but we'll just unhook it here and he'll be fine 
Um, so he was put down on the ground and I picked him up and couldn't believe my luck that we had another one. Very, very lucky. And he latched on pretty much straight away. I wanted to do the breast crawl, but I kind of just forgot about it. I was far you too know? impatient to do that. I was like, oh my God, he's here. I'm going to put him on my boob straight away. And he was covered in vernix, like absolutely covered in it. And the second midwife, Brenda, arrived just as his head was born or just before his head was born, I think. Um, so yeah, and right. So Hugo came in, like he came out, I picked him up and Hugo walked straight in after that. And that's so lovely. Lorraine got like the most amazing videos and pictures. I was supposed to have a photographer, but uh, for, I don't know, whatever reason, her phone was uh, on silent. You know, one of those awful things I know, like as a doula, the how like I check my phone every night before I go to bed. I get Phil to ring me so that I can hear, you know, my VIP list or whatever. I don't know how it happened. I'm so sorry, but it didn't matter a bit. You know, Lorraine took photos when I knew that you, when I knew she didn't answer, Lorraine said she'd take photos and videos, which was just like, she's. I have to say Lorraine played an absolute blinder as far as. um, Taking photos, minding the kid, making sure Hugo was okay. I think having her there as well as Liz, it just, it took, it kind of took the pressure off myself a little bit because that extra pair of hands just made all the difference. You know, if, if you, if you can't have, you know, someone else there, but it, you know, it was just brilliant that she understood the process of birth. She could affirm with Liz anything that needed to happen. So, you know, Liz could ask Lorraine something, that I might not have understood correctly, you know, and Lorraine would understand and be able to shift Pam or do something or just check something whilst Liz is doing something else. And then, you know, just having her there when the boys were up and about, she was able to, you know, it's it's not really part of the job, but she could distract them and talk to them if needed, which was just, it kind of let me focus on Pam a little bit more. So, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of, you know, Lorraine, but just having a doula or someone else there that understands the situation and can help in in a manner like that. It's it was brilliant, I gotta say. Yeah, like the three of them were seamless. It was like they'd yeah, they'd done it, it together like you know 20 times before. Yeah. But like I didn't know who was doing my hip squeezes and I didn't really care. And you know, who was rubbing my arms and telling me I was brilliant and like they were all just so fantastic. Like the teamwork was just I can't. I couldn't have had a better experience. They were so amazing. And Lorraine is just, she's just, you know her, she's so fantastic. Like she, yeah. yeah. And I I think, you know, from, from getting to know them pre-delivery, obviously she was up to the house a few times. She knew the lie of the land. She'd met the boys, you know, we'd had chats and coffees and whatever. So, you know, her coming into the house, she wasn't a stranger, you know, she was, Mm one that knew the situation she knew where the towels were she knew the layout of the house she knew how to make a cup of tea those little things that if she didn't then me as being you know the host oh here can I get you something it's like no no you just focus on Pam I'm fine I'll do this for you you pretend you're you know and that's something something people often think about having a doula is that you know it, it could take away from the partner it's definitely no, no, like no, that, it's, it just 
makes life so much easier. And yeah, no, I, if yeah. you could get two Lorraines, you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really brilliant. And yeah. then we had lovely, uh, lovely, we got up onto the um, the couch. Can I tell the vinyl story? Oh, you can do whatever <laughs> you want. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> very funny. Phil, uh, you know, for something something else, Amorous bought a vinyl sheet. Wow, cheeky bow wow. <laughs> and uh, when Liz was looking for something to put on the couch, like a shower curtain or something, Phil's like, Got the vinyl sheet if you want to. Yeah, she was suggesting bin bags and all sorts, and I was like, I know exactly what would cover the flesh. Wouldn't so. get a stain on anything, that one. <laughs> Mind you, it was new in the package. I have to say that now. A bit I didn't think the first time it would be used was for the bloody home birth. I'm just going to put it that way. You probably bought it for a long time. Yeah. The shit. massages weren't happening so often when I could lie in my tummy. I couldn't lie in my tummy. Um, so, yes, you feel I did. I got the vinyl sheet <laughs> to protect the couch. We thought it was a brilliant Liz idea. thought it was yeah. a brilliant idea. 20 bucks from Ann Summers, anyone that's looking for them. <laughs> so, I got onto the couch with my uh, blankie and my little baby and just. Soaked it all up and the kids were in and out and Brenda, my second midwife, was there. And, you know, I just I looked around and I thought, well, this is the dream, the dream. I was sitting on the couch. The two boys were sitting beside me. Phil was sitting on the end of the couch. We were all having a cup of tea. Lorraine was sitting over beside the dog. The two midwives were chatting away on the couch. It was just so like, you know, having had two hospital births, which were fine, you know, like I had two lovely births. I was very lucky. Um, but it's just honest God, it was just next level you know you couldn't hope you've had a home birth you couldn't hope for anything more just being in your own space straight after having had a baby is like you know just chilled out in the couch then I so another thing was you know with my consultant on Rosie he said um, when I brought up having a home birth I'm sure you know this and I think I said it in the podcast the last time he said you know, with postpartum hemorrhage, sometimes it could be like turning on a tap and you could, you know, die from that bleeding. And that really is something that stuck with me. You know, like I was, and even though I I hadn't had a postpartum hemorrhage before and I knew that Liz carried Sintocinon and um, Centrum, I think it's called, but I knew knew that home birth midwives carry the exact same drugs that you have in hospital that you have time to get to a hospital if you have a postpartum hemorrhage. I know people who've had home births and postpartum hemorrhages, but it still was something that stuck with me all the way through. Um, and it was something I said to him when I went for my six-week checkup as well. I said, you know, the language that she uses is really important. And it made me anxious that you said that. And he was like, God, I didn't realize that it was, it had that. Of course he knew it had an effect on me because he was trying to get me not to have a home birth. But it stuck with me so much. Like, you know, when I was sitting now, I have to say, I, you know, the lights were low. Everybody was so chilled out. Teddy was drinking away, like feeding away. The lads were there. I, you know, they were kind of keeping an eye on the time for the placenta and stuff because it was in my head. I think Liz, you know, kind of, she said, are you open to have the, um, syntocin injection? I said, yeah, I'm absolutely open to it if I need it. 
So we kind of said we'd wait and see on the day how it went. And if I needed to get it, then I'd get it just for my own peace of mind. Um, but again, of course, we went through all the benefits and risks of it. And, you know, we knew all those things. So then sitting on the couch, I said, OK, I think I'm getting some contractions again now for my placenta. So it sat on the edge of the couch and tried for a couple of minutes and nothing kind of it didn't come. So Liz said, look, can we go into the toilet? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So that, and what so was the time frame on that? I mean, that was, and, yeah, it was a good while. Maybe wasn't an it? hour and 10 minutes or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit longer, but not much longer than that. Yeah. So went in and had the, the lovely silver Ikea bowl. Apparently it's the best fit for the toilet. You know, the big silver Ikea salad bowl. Yeah, this is like, yeah, so we need a bowl. And I said, I have a silver one for Ikea. And she goes, that's perfect. Fits in the toilet. Perfect. <laughs> so we went into the toilet in the bedroom and she put the bowl in the toilet and I sat down and just kind of sat there breastfeeding and she brought in the gas and air and I was like what the heck is she bringing the gas and air in for those contractions were actually worse than the ones when I was having him like I and isn't it so unfair I was so pissed off I was like I've already done this why am I feeling this it's ruining the moment I was really like shocked at how intense they were and like using the gas there, when she brought the gas there, and I was like, oh, I hear what you're going in, but that'll be grand. There are only a few after pains. Do you know, like, there are only a few contractions. Man, they were so intense. She was like, they get more intense the more children you have. And I was like, I did not know that. But they were super intense. Anyway, so a couple of minutes later, I plucked my placenta and Phil cut the cord. Uh, with such a laugh, I was like, to Lorraine, take photos of this because this is the shit that you don't see. From a home birth, you know, you don't see where people birth their placenta. You see all the lovely stuff, but you don't see where people birth their placenta sitting on the toilet. You know, with, sitting on the toilet with a big blanket around me, with Liz sitting on the floor beside me, and Phil rubbing my back. You know, like you don't see that kind of stuff. With that, and that's the real. It's like it's lovely to have seen that, and then walking with the big pad between my legs to go back. Yeah. And then I had a shower. So Phil had skin on skin with Teddy then. And I had a shower and like so lovely to be in your own shower, in your own towels, in your own bed. You know, they had the bed made up for me after I had my shower, climbed into bed, Mr. Fed away. And the two boys were, you know, in the bed and cuddling and kissing and so excited that we had a new little brother. And they weighed him actually at some stage. We went back into the after the cord was cut, yeah, we went back into the sitting room for a little while for a cup of tea and some toast and stuff. And they weighed him there. He was 8.14 and a tea leaf. Is that what he was mm. saying? Yeah, 8.14 and a tea leaf. Um, and it's funny, the second midwife was like, God, he's a big boy, isn't he? He goes, he's not at all. I was 10, 12. <laughs> Hugo. <laughs> he's tiny, not at all. I was 10, 12. Oh, he's very funny. <laughs> but yeah, he was the smallest of them. So how did you feel then over the following few days? So that was what, Saturday night? Next morning. Well, so that was, yeah, Saturday night. And I, you know what? I just I just loved the timeline as well, as in it happened Sunday morning. And so the sun had just come up. We had the new baby. We're all sitting around the lounge room having a cup of tea. And it was almost like, okay, this is the start of the day. 
and we've got a new baby to start the day with. And mm-hmm. I just thought the timing and the vibe around that was really cool, really special. Um, yeah. So that was, I don't know, I, I, I don't think it would be any different. It, it wouldn't matter what time of day that you had the baby, but you, the fact that you could, you got up, you got your baby, <laughs> you chilling with a cup of tea on a Sunday morning. Yeah, on a Sunday morning, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like. I was almost sure to, you know, go get the paper and just read the, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just a great vibe in the house as well, you know, like just with, with everyone being calm and cool and. Oh, and Amanda arrived. And, Sorry, Amanda arrived. Yeah, kind of photographer maybe, arrived. Yeah, maybe 20 minutes after we had yeah, it or something yeah, like and that, that. And that was kind of nice because. She caught all those gorgeous moments yeah. of like, you know, people chilling out and like writing notes up yeah and, so lovely we're yeah. so and there's such special photos my god yeah. some of them are just all of them are just like that like I couldn't pick out if I had to pick them I couldn't pick out and his little expressions when he you know when he was getting his vitamin k injection and been weighed and like they're all they're all so precious to have yeah. even even our dog Byron coming in for a sniff yeah. and seeing what was going on you know so yeah yeah that and then, was real cool so Liz um you know, they took me up in bed and um, because I had gestational diabetes, I had, we, we did observations. So Liz stayed a little bit longer to check his respiratory rate, his heart rate and his temperature to make sure that all of those were bang on. Okay. Um, and you know, that the feeding was going okay so that we didn't have to transfer to hospital, you know, that his blood glucose are fine. You can't check blood glucose accurately at home. So they do observations instead. And his abs were all absolutely fine. He fed away when he was born and they checked him over. Um, Brenda said he's a bit tight on his right side. You know, with his shoulder movement or something, he was a bit tight on his right side and it was his hand. It was his left or right hand. It was his left hand, actually, that he had up by his uh, cheek when he was born. And so she said, you know, just watch out for the tightness. And Liz said, sometimes uh, a tightness like that can be associated with a tongue tie or whatever. And the two boys also had tongue ties. So, you know, it was kind of flagged to something we we knew about from previous times. And they did such a thorough check of him, you know, afterwards and kind of, you know, like it was, it was lovely to see them do it and to be able to watch and have it done on me as opposed to taken off to a table off to the side. And, you know, and that's something I'd definitely recommend you ask for in the hospital. Can any checks be done on you? Because there's no reason that they can't. The only thing they need to take the baby for is to um, weigh them. And that's really it. it. Takes a couple of seconds. Um, And actually where I'll just, and you can put it back in earlier, maybe like two books that I'd highly recommend that you read. Rachel reads um, the childbirth rite of passage or reclaiming the childbirth rite of passage. And also Dr. Sarah Buckley, um, Gentle Birth, Gentle Parenting. They're both two fantastic books to read. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, kind of Liz called back then, like the aftercare is just so fantastic. Yeah, it's just amazing. Amazing. So she called back and checked in with us, you know, like a couple of times a day, like he had a green snot or a green, yeah, a green snot. And I was like, he's got a green snot. <laughs> Do you know, I thought as soon as he was born, that anxiety around 
losing a baby would be lessened, shall we say. But And it was a little bit because he wasn't inside me anymore. You know, he was outside. But now there was this whole other set of worries that I had. And, you know, like I had to check everything. I'm a third time parent. Like that's not, you know, I didn't ever feel like that. And Riley, like I kind of breezed through it, Riley, but to check everything, the green snot and I texted his picture of snot. And she was like, yeah, put a bit of breast milk up his nose or put a bit of breast milk. It is like breast milk's for everything. Use it for everything that you possibly can. It's wonderful. And um, so he was feeding, but I was very sore. And I, you know, Liz, like, so she said, okay, so what we can do is you can wait and try all the things to get him feeding properly and get rid of that pain. So wait around two weeks. And then if you still feel that it's the same, we can refer you for a tongue tie. And I was like, okay, grand. Cause I had the care, I think for two weeks afterwards. And then, um, so Kitty called up to see me as well. And she had a look at him and was like, yeah, no, he does have a tongue tie. You know, I, if you if we just see how you go, like all my, she checked the way that I was doing, you know, latching him on and all my positioning was correct and all that kind of stuff. I brought him for craniosacral. Um, and it made a little bit of a difference, but not enough that didn't warrant a tongue tie. So at two weeks, we went to see um, Fiona in Bray. There's a tongue tie clinic in Bray now, which is great. Um, and we had his tongue snipped and almost instantly his feeding was better. It wasn't 100% perfect, but it was much better. So we went back to craniosacral the next day and... Again, Jill, my reflex is fantastic. She showed me some exercises to do with him and stuff, and he's fed good. It took a few. I used the nipple shields for a little while until he kind of adjusted, and we have had a great journey to feeding, piling on a pound a week. Like he's, you know, really great. He's a little chubster, <laughs> and he's really great. Yeah, like. You know, the recovery, I had no perineal damage, whereas the first time I had a third degree tear, second time I had a second degree tear, and I'd none whatsoever. And the difference that makes for healing and recovery is just, you know, I can't. And do you think that's because of the apino? The apino, is that what it's called? Um, Yeah, and also just having the, you know, like, I, I think probably a slower delivery like Riley shot out, but Hugo, I had an episiotomy on and, you know, the research shows that you're more likely to have the third or fourth degree tear with that. So, um, you know, just, I, I, I used the epino. I did lots of pelvic floor relaxation because it was tending to be too tight after Rosie. I went for a checkup and I had tight pelvic floor after Rosie. And of course, you know, been through tra- trauma, we hold tension in our pelvis and I really do my jaw. I grind my teeth when I'm um tense but yeah so practice that lots of relaxation and you know I probably knew more this time and I probably went with my body you know I was allowed to switch off the front of my brain I was allowed to get into that zone where where I just did what my body wanted to do I wasn't but I have to say like you know the way they say that you you're not thinking when you're in labor I definitely wasn't thinking as much as I normally do, but I still was thinking, you know, and maybe it's because I went quickly kind of from five centimeters to pushing, you know, that that bit was pretty quick. I still remember thinking things 
like, you know, I still remember thinking some things like I need to keep my jaw relaxed. I need to keep my hands soft. And I use a spiky ball actually to remind me of that, to relax on my hands because, you know, I, I do often grip really tightly and, you know, I was like biting down on the, <laughs> the gas and air a couple of times. There's a couple of photos of me like, you know, I'm always saying like how much you should relax your jaw. And I'm like, like chewing at the gas and air. But uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was really, really special. And my recovery has just been fantastic. I did um, have a couple of episodes where I woke in the middle of the night and thought that Teddy was dead. But again, that's probably still holding on to trauma from Rosie. And my older sister was a cotteth. So I probably carry a bit of that with. And I definitely did with Hugo. I was like, you know, so particular about Hugo. But uh, yeah, so it's a couple of that was kind of scary, wasn't it? Waking up in the middle of the night and thinking that kind of picking him up and shaking him. And, you know, he wasn't. He was just asleep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was pretty scary. So I've since done a rewind again. That was going to be my next question. So what you've done to look after yourself. Yeah, I continued going to counselling. Um every week and I did a rewind with Liz Liz is trained in the um trauma rewind so I did a rewind with Liz there just in January and it's definitely made it easier to deal with and I have tools like I'm doing this because that's one of my tools to kind of when I feel nervous about my parenting or if I'm making the right decision or whatever around his sleep I feel more confident you know, putting him down to sleep and not be afraid yet. Now I still, we, you know, I still check him or ask Phil to check him probably more often than, I don't know what's normal, but you know, for me, that's normal, but um, I don't have that. I haven't woken up with that panic since, and my anxiety levels are definitely lower, but yeah, it's been, it was tough for a couple, good few weeks it was tough, but I think probably a lot of that was still down to Rosie. Yeah. And I don't really, I think that's all of my story. And he's been growing great. You know, he's piling on the pounds and rolling over and he's doing, that's he's so cute. He's the best little baba. I wish he'd sleep a bit more, but apart from that, he's good. Phil, do you have any final words before we, we say goodbye? Uh, no, I just, you know, obviously very proud of how Pam went through the process you know, she's passionate about good birthing experiences and being able to help others have good birthing experiences. And um, I was just delighted that we had a good birthing experience, you know. And, um, you know, she's she was able to get this little pumpkin out in a, a safe manner and everyone was well from it and uh and then yeah the the follow-up obviously you know passionate about breastfeeding he's healthy and happy he's on the boob whenever he needs to be and um yeah no look just delighted that he's uh, a brilliant little addition to the family you know yeah but uh yeah no look i mean on a sensible note having gone through a home birth certainly i wouldn't have any hesitation doing another one I think. Uh, Does that mean we can get pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just... actually said to Anya, she put up a advertisement for the home birth, and I said I'd almost get pregnant again just to have a home birth. Hey, <laughs> settle down. 
<laughs> Settle down. No, I just I just think the whole experience was brilliant. And um yeah, look, we I'd certainly do it again. I wouldn't have any hesitation doing it again. We're recommending no, it. No, I think yeah, and, and people that I've spoken to, you know, I've I, I have recommended it. No, I wouldn't not so much recommended it. I've just said, look, we had a home birth and it was brilliant. You know, and and people are open to that idea now at the moment. And I think I think, you know, obviously the last two years mm. the, the situation, not just in Ireland, but but globally, you know, it, it's it, it's been difficult for a lot of people. Uh I think it was important for Pam to have as much support available to her during that period of birth and everything else that went with it and the home birth kind of facilitated that for us yeah um so and that and that I was delighted that we were able to do it that way well that was something lots of people said to me you know like anyone I told I was having a home birth who wasn't really on the home birth train you know oh god are you mad having a home birth so unsafe and especially after losing a baby and you know like we didn't go into having a home birth blind yes i'm probably considered higher risk than other people because i have had i had gestational diabetes because of my age and other things but you know it was definitely we used the brain to figure out what was best for us and regardless of the risk definitely the benefits outweighed it and you know coming out the other side of that like i can't imagine having gone to hospital and if I if I had have had a traumatic experience I can't imagine where I would be mentally you know like having been through the loss if I had to go through something traumatic after that I don't know where I don't know how I would have continued on you know it would have been extremely difficult whereas I've had the best of everything and I have to say Phil's been like postpartum my postpartum has just been so fantastic I got to stay in bed I got fed my three meals a day you know, I had family and friends leaving up food. We ordered Kayla's kitchen and had that in the freezer, which was just like, that's something I'd recommend everyone to do in the postpartum, regardless of how you gave birth, like having meals in the freezer for no stress for the two kids and for Phil and myself, like just, just so, so brilliant. Um, But I literally stayed in bed. I, I like I was still hanging out in bed, you know, at six weeks. I really took my time getting up to do things so went for a few little short walks and I did my pelvic floor exercises but I wasn't rushing back to do anything you know it was my third last time doing this and I've spent as much time cuddling and kissing and you know skin on skin with him as I possibly could. Well Pam and Phil thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me tonight <laughs> just listening there um just listening to you chat there the last few minutes but listening to Teddy snore after having a nice view just is so nice and I'm so happy for you both so thank you so much for sharing I hope you enjoyed this week's episode don't forget how I have tagged all the resources that Pam has mentioned throughout this episode in the show notes and also over on the Instagram page 
If you would like to share your story, as always, you're more than welcome to. Just get in touch over on irelandsbirthstories.ie and pop your details into the Share Your Story tab and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. If I don't get back to you in a couple of weeks, send me a reminder. Sometimes I let my email slip and then they just go AWOL. I hope you have a good week. I will chat to you next week with another episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.